We the bestest cast with the left twist. Fat, fairly well dressed. Put me on the guest list. The guest list. Uh, yeah, on the guest list. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another week of All in the Guest List with Fox trying to get down White Sox, Dave, Kenny Carkey, and Dante. We got two Congos boys in the building today. We got Johnny and Danny. How are we, boys? We're good. What's up? One Congo. Yeah, it's a plural of Congos. Is Congos, We're pretty right? much the same. We're the, the boldy beardies with the beanies. <laughs> the boldy beardy. Oh, my God. Don't ever fucking say that again. Dude. Boldy uh, beardies with the beanies. Uh, we got a great interview this week. We have Jay Weinberg, the drummer of Slipknot. We got this on like fucking last minute notice, and it was an awesome, awesome, awesome interview. Kenny absolutely lost his mind. I, once again, didn't realize this until like shortly before the interview, but he's also the son of Max Weinberg, the drummer from the E Street Band. So Kenny Slipknot fandom was fucking losing it. My Bruce fandom was losing it. It was a great fucking interview, and he's way, way smarter than us. Kenny, your thoughts? Uh, I mean, yeah, he's in so much smarter than we are, and the experiences that he had are crazy. And he's just a normal guy who loves to chat and like takes the music seriously. And, you know, Slipknot is such a fucking insane thing, whether you like it or don't like it, or it's good or it's bad. It's such an insane thing, especially in the drum portion. So to be able to talk to the guy who's doing 200 BPM blast beats for an hour and a half, you're like, how the hell do you do that, man? It was great. Great interview. Yeah, and before we started, I was bringing up the fact that I tried to do a little bit of pigeonhole journalism at the very end with the Machine Gun Kelly oh, yeah. question. Yeah. <laughs> such a fucking dickhead for that, dude. Oh, it was perfect. And he had the he had the best response. Well, they'll have to listen. To yeah, that. they'll have to listen to it. But uh, uh, in a fucking airport, I'm assuming you're in New York, Dante. How are you, buddy? I'm a little tired, not going to lie. But I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm living. I'm good. He's tired because he went to the MSG show with Skrillex, Forte, and Fred again, which if you would have fucking asked me six months ago if I knew what any of that meant, I would have probably laughed at you. Uh, but <laughs> it actually looked incredible. You want to give us a rundown on your experience? Yeah, it was a semi-impromptu show. You and I, of course, got tipped off earlier in the week last week we did. by someone we can't name. Uh, oh, tickets dropped Wednesday, even with the prior knowledge of tickets dropping could not get them um, completely out of the blue three days notice for a show. They sold out in minutes, which is pretty insane uh, to do at Madison square garden. I don't care who you are. Um, so yeah, I, thanks to game time, hooking it up. Uh, great sponsor Barstool. got awesome floor seats, went with uh, my GM, Mitch from Cleveland. I uh, met up with a bunch of agents we know, talent buyers, bookers, Chicken Fry, Grace, a couple of the um, tech guys from Barstool, Justin, and Youngstown Bob. It was it was awesome, man. And the show was crazy. They started right at like eight o'clock. Walked in, the house lights were on. There was no production. There were just three guys like on a stage on the floor. Whole arena was open, sold out, packed. Um, it was kind of like, what is like, what is going on? And, you know, they were like opening for themselves, so they were playing like down tempo, lower speed stuff, lower energy stuff. And then about an hour into it, Skrillex hopped on and lights cut out, a laser from the DJ booth shot out, which I. It's nuts that they had lasers going to Madison Square Garden. And then energy started to pick up. But he just, 
I'm gonna I'm actually in the middle of a blog about this. Um, he is just on such another level. I haven't seen him in probably six years, maybe. Um, play, but it's everyone else is like here, and he is just he's just so good at everything he does. The clips, the clips I've been seeing coming through look like this might be a big moment for EDM in America. You know, like there's always these moments where it feels like it's finally going to take over. And I understand it's it's big here, but it's never fully happened in the way that it ha happens in Europe. And I thought Prodigy back in the 90s was going to be one of those moments with Firestarter and Breathe, and it never quite happened. And that, it, that keeps happening. But this one, the footage I'm seeing coming out of that MSG show is might be the thing where everyone's like, we got to get on this. <laughs> to be fair, now to be fair, now that Skrillex looks like a normal person, like he actually has like a he doesn't have like a fucking weird haircut and shit. Maybe that's the push that EDM needed to get normalized into American civilization. I don't know. Could that be it? Is the haircut and the beard maybe something that is going to turn the tide for EDM? I don't. Know. I saw a Skrillex at Lala like five years ago, whenever that was. I can't remember when it was, and the fucking ground shook outdoors. Like the entire earth moved. You know, with that show, so I mean, it, it's it's been big, but big underground. You're saying not even just from the bay, because I told them about the bay, yeah. but I forgot it was the people jumping. They were like literally creating a miniature earthquake. Yeah, dude, I will say too. Experiences with the Skrillex, with Skrillex is kind of that festival in Europe. It must have been like three or four in the morning, uh, and everybody's trying to sleep on the bus, but the bus is backed up to the stage. Skrillex goes on at 3 a.m. The whole bus it feels like it's levitating and shaking. That was that was like one of my favorite parts of the show. And we went to Swedish House Mafia this summer there, and it was a little bit not even close to the same extent of Saturday night in terms of the bouncing and jumping. Like you said, the coolest thing about Madison Square Garden is it's built on basically stilts and cables because you've got Penn Station below it. So it's suspended essentially. So the floor <laughs> has like shocks underneath it. What? So the floor is going like this the whole yeah it's awesome. It's like one of the coolest feelings. You feel like you're like on a trampoline kind of I kind of I wish that you would have took White Sox Dave with you because I would have liked to have seen Dave in that crowd. Dave could you actually could you go to one of those shows and appreciate oh, yeah. it? I can assimilate just it, fine. He, he would, he would have, he would have, I mean, it wasn't like what you think it was. The diehards were in the stands. The ticket prices were insane for the show. So everyone that was on the floor was like promoters, industry people, influencers. Like I saw, dude, I saw Dante. like that Haley Bailey girl. I saw that Haley Bailey girl from Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Issue just oh. walking around with like Automatic. other mods, like, Bailey. like, like stops you dead in your tracks yeah so like so hot it's, it's not even funny um that's all oh, that sucks and just concerts like, when it's when it's just agents and industry people in the front row but it seemed like they were they were losing themselves a bit like but when you get that kind of crowd in the front just I, checking their phones and making sure the deal went through i have suck. never in my life i saw the clips that dante put up seen more cell phones videotaping three dudes it's ridiculous at a fucking DJ booth. Yeah, it, it was, was ridiculous. the most maybe like influencer type thing ever. But like I saw great clips. Like it did look like fun. But like I said, like I, I would like to see Dave assimilate into that place. Cause I dude, I had to do it uh in October when I went to John Summit. I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. 
That's a whole different world. Like I, I didn't know how Dave to Dave chugging keg beer, fucking having a yeah, great time with and just barbecuing on one side. I do it. Just because I come off as a little miserable prick when I'm in my own humble abode doesn't mean I can't assimilate. I'll tell Thanks. you all about it. I've been assimilation is just a nice fancy word for bullshitting your way through everything. Yep. I'm a <laughs> I can bullshit my way through a Skrillex concert. I did it at the Slipknot concert two summers ago. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, we were talking, we talked about it a few times. I was I went to see MGK this is at Riot Fest. Which is, I think, Chicago's most underrated um, for sure. Summer fest. It's awesome, and MGK was like trying to climb up the like the know, the pillar things. They have like the metal X's, yeah, the the, the, yeah, those things. And I'm like, this guy fucking sucks. I'm gonna go see what Slipknot's up to. And I spent, I saw maybe the last 45 minutes an hour of Slipknot because they were playing at the same 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 time on different stages, and they were shit talking each other from like stage to stage all and right awesome let's yeah. talk let's talk about this real quick because we we have to talk about this so the machine gun kelly thing obviously we we talk about him on the episode but megan fox released a fucking statement that absolutely made me want to chug bleach and because they're having like a relationship spat or whatever the fuck it is and i hate to even like talk about this on a music podcast but it is music related here's machine or here is megan fox's quote about whether or not machine gun kelly cheated on her why the fuck am i talking about this here we go <laughs> there has been no third party interference in this relationship of any kind that includes but is not limited to actual humans dms ai bots or succubus demons she tries she thinks she's a succubus what demon she fuck? played one in that stupid fucking movie megan's body yeah or fucking jennifer's body or whatever it is whatever it is whatever just, movie. just be normal man yeah, but normal doesn't make you dollars. You know what I mean? Dude, they're they're yeah. like a boring version of Angelina Jolie and uh, yeah, Billy, Billy Bob, Bob Thornton, Thornton. Yeah, yeah. and that was boring. Yeah, yeah. So they're it's the first ones to wear each other's blood and a necklace around their necks. You know what I mean? Yeah, they are really trying to be Billy Bob Thornton and Angelina Jolie. Nobody will be Billy Bob Thornton, man. <laughs> no, yeah, he's actually, so, he's actually he's actually, actually interesting. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. Little so little inside information here. Ooh. She is she is certifiably insane. Ooh. Jealous, <laughs> like I know, like all chicks are jealous to certain levels. She is off the fucking like charts nuts. We were at we were at a show last summer in Milwaukee. We did. And we were backstage, and my friend had his girlfriend there, and she brought a friend, and they were like, you know, geeking out, huge, huge, huge fans. They were like, can we get a picture with him? Can we get a picture with him? And he's like, yeah, give me a second. So he goes and asks him. He's like, hey, can you take a picture with um, my girl and her friend? And he's like, yeah, but you guys have to stand in it too because Megan will lose her fucking mind if she sees me taking a picture with just girls. We were, like, we were like, what? Imagine looking at Machine Gun Kelly and being like, everybody wants him. He's like fucking <laughs> Edward Scissorhands, dog. <laughs> no. But was ever, like since, 20, ever, 22 ever since... 22 carried him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But ever since then, I've been like, man, everything she does, I, I look through that lens and I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. She's fucking bad shit. What makes her so insecure as a super babe? Thumbs. Her thumbs. 
Yeah, her thumbs are. Fucked up. <laughs> her fucked thumbs. Thumbs. <laughs> what did you do with ten foot football? Because she's got fucked up thumbs. She oh, got. No shit. She, she has toe thumbs. Toe. Can you Google Google <laughs> Megan Fox thumbs and you'll be like she's now in eight point two. Oh, we're, we're holding. <laughs> Kenny's gonna look this up. And this picture <laughs> Megan Fox coming up to Dave and being like, "Dave, I want you." And then Dave being like, "Yeah, Dude, let me thumb see." Thumb implants, bitch. <laughs> That'd be my first question for her. She probably tries to hide it, hide them because they're so bad. <laughs> the thumb implants. <laughs> oh, I see one right there. That's a fucked up thumb right there. Yeah, she's got fucked up thumbs. It's gross. It looks like a toe. It looks like a toe. Toe thumbs. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> we're gonna get in trouble. I hope so. Come grow ball sack. You're all you're all like uh, yeah, Jason Alexander's character in Shallow Hal. Oh <laughs> yeah, dude. yeah, he's just finding some fucking minor bullshit to get hung up on. <laughs> yeah, when you the major bullshit if she has slept with MGK, and that's like a that's almost a deal breaker. Yeah, that's man, bad, man, that's bad man. enough. Yo, uh, Kenny, what, I had. To- what are you fucking guys talking about? If Meg, you're pretending <laughs> like you would turn down Megan Fox. I know. If you- I know. Here's a really embarrassing anecdote: is that sometimes, not always, but sometimes I'll watch The Bachelor with my wife Sarah, yeah. which is like thirty hot babes in bikinis trying to fuck this guy. So, as a guy's perspective, you're like, it could be worse, but. Because it's the bachelor, you're like, no, nah, that bitch has weird eyes. No, there's nothing wa- wrong with watching the bachelor, though. No, I know, I but like, these are all tens. Like, why am I being so fucking judgmental? <laughs> I've never, I've never watched a single episode of the Bachelor. You're not missing. It's there, I, I mean, it's I watch- a fly in the ointment thing. You know, you're like any in any kind of context, you're looking for the problem, no matter what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if the problems are big enough, you're not going to be worried about thumbs. Her fucking uh, stupid. Fuck that bitch. She's a four. You know, <laughs> Kenny. Uh, Kenny, I had a mo- I had a moment today. I think you'd be proud of. Well, let's let me be the judge of that. <laughs> I think I finally actually had a moment where I get Blink One Eighty Two. Why do you think I would be proud of that? Because I've been saying for fucking two years now that I don't understand it. It just went over my head. I never got it. I mean, I've never heard someone say Blink One Eighty Two went over my <laughs> head, but <laughs> I, I don't know what it was as a kid. Blink was never like my band, and we we did a draft like a year ago where we talked about the bands that everybody else likes that you don't understand. And my number one was Blink, and I don't know what it was. I was at the gym right before here. No, no, you know, not bragging, but and uh, I just randomly put on Blink's self titled album with "Feeling It" is the first song. It's a terrible record. Dude, I don't know why it I, the the fucking phasers on the guitars and the actual like Ugh. recording of the track. I actually enjoyed it. Don't fucking roll your eyes. No, at me. listen. The only reason why Blink even has any like part of my brain is because I was like thirteen when Cheshire Cat came out. Right. right? I was like fifteen when Buddha came out, and then sixteen when when Dude Ranch came out. Those three records were like the fucking ones. Everything after that was kind of whatever to me. What's the what is hello there? Where's that from? I know that's not the name of the song. Are you talking about Miss You? That's off the record yeah, I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah. Okay, yeah. We used to, all the crew on, on our tours, you would just hear hello there across the radios <laughs> for the entire tour street. Hello there. <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, I, I fucking, I don't know. I had a moment today. Maybe it's because it's nice out in Philly where I wanted to listen to Angels and Airwaves, which. Don't do that. I, I like that project. Oh. You don't I like- never listen to it, really. Dave, you know where you might know Angels and Airways from, though? You remember the show Two a Days on MTV? Yeah, I never really watched it, though. You didn't watch Two I'll Days? I'll see you Sunday. I'll see you Sunday. That's a great fucking show, dude. Two a Days was the Best shit. Show. 
That's uh, yeah, I just remember what was it the team in? Was it Alabama? Hoover, Hoover Alabama. Yeah, everybody Ross, said that our Ross team pros. Ross smoked pros. that team. You think you could have smoked Hoover Alabama's football team? I mean, no chance. We had, <laughs> we had like was, our entire offensive line and backfield went to Division One scholarship. It would have been matter. a close game. We won the state championship by like a thousand points. Hoover literally was the feeding program for Alabama. I understand that. Rush Probst. Rush Probst is a. I think he's. Uh, he's a in crazy the Hall person. Of Fame. I think he's, he's in the Alabama person. Hall of Fame. But what I was going to say was the entire soundtrack to that show was "The War" by um, Angels and Airwaves. Not that that fucking matters. Apparently, I just the only to bring good thing about points. Angels and Airwaves is Alon Rubin. Really. He was the drummer for Angels and Airways? It always has been. Still is. With, with those nice 80s snares. Oh, I have literally me. understood a single word you guys have said for the last three minutes. What? You don't know <laughs> Angels and Airways? No, I know. I, I, sorry, I take it back. I understood two words. Angels and Airways. That's three <laughs> words, dickhead. <laughs> the only thing worse than, uh, than Blink-182 that Tom DeLonge has done is Angels and Airways. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is where you confuse me because I'm bringing up a band that you historically love. You keep you saying, de- I don't know why you keep saying this. Where does this come from? <laughs> because you've defended them every time I said they were overrated. Blink-180. Okay, so I don't remember ever defending them. B, I mean, their legacy is pretty insane, to be yeah. real. But I go back, like, my fandom started with Blink-182 before Travis Barker was even in the fucking band. Like, one of those, like, I was first to listen to them. But, like, <laughs> I don't know, man. I haven't listened to them since, like, 1999. <laughs> well, you're not, you, what, you're not angsty anymore, dude? I will say, hey, can I do a name drop and... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's fucking on the guest list. I'm pretty sure that's your role here. Drop and self compliment. Uh, there was a cool project that Alex Gasgarth of All Time Low and Mark yeah. Hoppus of Blink 182 did. Plus 44. No, Simple Creatures. It was called Simple Creatures. Oh right. Um, and it was when Max and I were doing fitness touring with these fucking Congo losers. Uh, and apparently we were told that like the only songs that they would reference and try to like rip off or play or try to whatever was all the fitness music. They're like obsessed. And we were supposed to go on tour with them and they never ended up touring at all. So that one fell through the cracks. But I was stoked on that. Is that why nobody's ever heard of it? Because they were copying you? No. <laughs> I mean, maybe. That's a fair question. There's songs. I like Simple Creatures. I like Simple Creatures. was great. They had a huge hit. I remember they had a big alternative radio hit when they did the Simple Creatures thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know about this new record, though, but I mean, I guess I haven't listened to it either. So (laughs) I don't know. I just for me, like I I fucking do you ever have a moment where you don't listen to music for a period of time? No. Like, yeah, I call that 20, the 2020s and and teens and 2000s. I know. So uh, I've noticed this about myself, though, when I'm like a little bit overwhelmed in life or I'm like stressed out. I For some reason, music, I don't listen to music. Like I, I can tell when I'm a little bit fucked up when I'm not listening to music. Like my Spotify, I have things in here that's on my recently played that I haven't listened to in a month. And then today, I felt pretty fucking good when I woke up this morning and I started blasting music. And the blank hit me for some reason, and I don't know why. That thought, I thought it would be a nice thing to share with my friend Kenny Carkey. No, okay, so a you were one. Two, guess what hit me hard the other day, and I can't stop listening to it. What? Fucking Eddie Money, dude. I've been going. Oh, Eddie Money's the best, man. Hell yeah, dude. It's the best shit. You go to his page and you're like, I forgot he had a thousand hits. And they're all oh, yeah. Baby, hold on to me. Yeah, that was yeah, that was the one. Baby, the hold on to me. Where the bass line doesn't come in until midway through the first verse, and it feels like it's like a six-string bass on the lowest E possible. I don't know why that shit is so heavy. 
Dude, take me home. Two tickets to paradise. Like it goes on and on. Take me, take me home tonight. And uh, the what's uh, name some of his other songs? Yeah, we used two to tickets play. to paradise was his other real big one. No, I know that one. There one uh, rung below that. Baby, hold on, hold on to me. That's such a great song. Whatever will be, will be. It's so good. Dude, remember a couple years ago when Eddie Money was like, seemed like he was in pretty. A pretty that is real name. Is he dead? I think yeah, he just died like two years ago. Oh, no shit. Apparently, he's from where I live here. Saris went to high school with his son and said he's a super creep. I hope I can say that. <laughs> Dave, Dave, do you remember the Jay Cutler charity event we did with him at Joe's? With Eddie Money? Oh, you I wasn't there. I missed the charity event because I was working and I couldn't, yeah, we didn't, I couldn't get out of it. We did an 80s night charity event with Jay Cutler's charity. When he was still in Chicago at Joe's on Weed, our spot and Eddie Money was the performing. That's talent. fucking yes. sick. It was awesome. It was no, one of the best parties I've ever been to. Never heard that, dude. Eddie Money, it fucks. was great. Eddie Money, I fucks play Baby so Hold On to Me right now on this podcast, bro. That that is one of those people though that that shit is ignorantly heavy for what he's it is. Like, like Christopher Cross, where like he's like one yeah. of those guys that you don't know that you love until you go searching and you go, holy fuck, I love Michael. Cole songs michael mcdonald i don't know about that oh come on dude michael mcdonald's a shit oh shaken that's what i'm thinking of why i couldn't think of the name of the song shaken what's another band that like kind of sucks but like if you have like two beers you're like this is the great boston is that band for me like i don't love 38 special 38 special absolutely one of those bands dude they got three songs fucking hold on loosely hold on loosely uh that tells you how much I love 38 Special. If there's one song that I can loosely. If it, if it was in like an early 2000s like movie that was based in the 1980s or 90s, 38 <laughs> Specials on that on that soundtrack. Dude, just go through the whole the Joe, Joe Dirt. Dirt. Go through the yeah. whole Joe Dirt soundtrack. Dude. That's an awesome soundtrack. <laughs> it is an all-time soundtrack. Just total fucking hair metal cocaine rock. It's the best. Fucking- Oh my God, Bob Seger, Doobie Brothers. There's like a lot of gr- dude. The Joe Dirt. Yeah, but Bob Seger and Doobie Brothers are good all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's oh. true. Okay, but you I don't like Bob Michael- Seger. You Bob don't like Seger, that's another guy that's just got hit, hit, after hit, 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 hit. Bob Seger's so hit. incredibly underrated in the pantheon of fucking American songwriters. Dude, did you say pantheon? Like, <laughs> did you not, did you miss did you mishear me? You motherfucker, pantheon, dude. Who's in the pantheon of <laughs> man? The accent coming out real bad there. Who's in the pantheon? I got, I got one for you. Go ahead. Is that like when you go to a strip club and the strippers have their pantheon? <laughs> I love, <laughs> I love that. I love that Dave just termed it cocaine rock. By the way, oh yeah, that, that might be a new name for a new mixtape I'm gonna do. Just, just uh, tabbing that. But hey, level hey, forty-two. What is level forty-two? Oh, level 42, something about you. Look that one up right now. It'll right. immediately come back to your mind. All right, hold on. Another Such. Co- no- Who are the ultimate cocaine rock bands? Fuck Cherry? No, no, no. No, no way too new. Def Leppard. Yeah, Def Leppard's a perfect. Okay, we're going back then. Fuck. Def Leppard's a great answer. I feel like, I mean, uh, poison. That, yeah, the, yeah the, poison in terms of musically sounding like it, but I feel like like uh, the Eagles were probably crazier than all of those. Yeah, because I've they were had, just. I've been driving from the bar 3 a.m., coked out of my mind, depressed, listening mm-hmm. to Eagles. And so for <laughs> me, 
The Eagles is cocaine rocks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can what? hear it in the music too. It's, you can just hear, even though it's not as like flamboyant as Def Leppard, you can just hear the cocaine in the For Eagles. Kenny, what do you like if you, when you cocaine? What were like? What were you like? Wait, say that again. Like, like you're saying you like? Well, I would I'm trying to imagine what Kenny Carkeet would be like on cocaine because oh, on weed love. you're not what people would expect people on weed to be like. You yeah, know what I mean, like you're yeah, yeah. up and energetic on the weed. So, what were you like on cocaine? You know how many band side projects I've started with people under the influence? <laughs> okay, dude, we should totally we should do this fucking record. You, me, and him. <laughs> Bro, I just picture I picture Kenny in the fucking just in the driver's seat, light shining through the front window, just fucking scry creaming Desperado by the Eagles, high on coke, just fucking. Cocaine's a hell of a drug, man. <laughs> I've never, I've never done Dude, it. Dude, I don't think Joe Walsh has the ability to do anything other than play guitar at this point. His oh, brain no. rotted out of its brain. But he's like, it's actually, it's like we we can talk about this later. I'm sure it's 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 very pop culture relevant right now. The Last of Us, are you guys all caught up? Oh, I love it. Caught up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. last night's it's, episode. So don't fuck me. It's like he's one of those. Yeah, I didn't either. I didn't either. So wait. No, no, oh, no you're you're saying it's he's fun. one of like the infected. Yeah, he's one of the infected. All he knows how to do, like, <laughs> he's a clicker. He's, yeah, he's not actually alive. He's just like doing basic motor functions. And I mean, that's all channeled into playing too. a guitar. Keith oh, Dave, all day. Dave, what's the term you use for people who are like fucked up, like Perry Shivo mashed potato brain? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Perry Shivo is kind of a livo. <laughs> yeah, she's kind of there. She's kind of not. That's Joe Walsh. Yeah. 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 He, he used to play at, uh, it's it's not a big fest. It's like a semi-big <gasps> bourbon fest here. It's called Rib Fest. It's, it gets a, it gets good, like Skinner, obviously not old Skinner, new Skinner, shelved themselves Skinner, goes to a collective soul, like bands like that. Oh, and Joe Walsh used to go to it like every other year, so I'd go and see him. He's still fucking awesome live, awesome yeah. live. All right, guys, who's the who's the most like kind of like, but like all right, no, the opposite. Who's the most put together old rock star that you've met? Like I've met fucking Robin Zander from uh, Cheap Trick. Dude is still like fucking out here. I got a like, name drop. Good. <laughs> uh fucking Mick Jagger, dude. I met him, mm. and I've never seen somebody who looked so old, but was so fucking like energetic and sprightly and talkative and dancing and having a good time. And you're like, I feel worse than you feel. And I'm 40 years, your junior. I've heard yeah. Alice Cooper is as like straight laced as possible. He, he is. Yeah. He yeah. plays a lot of golf. Yeah. <laughs> he's like a scratch golfer. He's yeah. a level genius, like super into like literature and stuff. Like he's as it's really hard to chip with eyeshadow leaking into your fucking the opposite eyes. of what he is on stage apparently dude you Who's know guy brian may from uh queen. queen's got like a doctorate in physics right yeah, yeah. dude the uh, the lead singer uh dexter what's his name holland. dexter holland yeah. dexter holland has like an aeronautical engineering degree from ucl you know, one of the crazy things i i saw in a documentary was brian may's parents flew overseas to watch him play a sold out madison square garden and they were still disappointed because he didn't go to college go finish his doctorate or whatever oh my god yeah. <laughs> dude my mom in college imagine how it. disappointed your parents are Kenny. <laughs> dude, although my parents are just glad i'm alive honestly yeah your dad's like a quadruple fighter pilot yeah well yeah when i yeah i'm the only male in my entire family that's not a military pilot i was like i'm just gonna play guitar guys and go to california and they're like huh Jeez. <laughs> excuse me 
Yeah. Huh? All right. Well, let, let's go into our interview with Jay Weinberg and then we'll come out and do a quick on list. Let's get the fuck out of here. Uh, but this is our interview with Jay Weinberg from Slipknot. All right, ladies and gentlemen, on the guest list this week, something special for you guys. We have the drummer of Slipknot, Mr. Jay Weinberg. Jay, how are we, brother? Hello, I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. This is a goddamn honor, man. Uh, you know we have had your drum tech on the podcast before. We've had Justin Nace on here. Yeah, Justin's the man. He's my man. I toured with Justin. My band toured with Paris many years ago. And Justin, as you know, the <laughs> nicest human being on earth. So he came Oh, home. yeah. yeah That's awesome. Time. Yeah. We had about a hundred questions about your setup, and uh, now we actually get it from the horse's mouth. So I'm I'm really really fucking excited about this. To to be fair, Justin probably knows more like intricate details about the stuff I'm like you know the drums and everything than even I do. Like he's he's incredibly talented, and that's why I, that's like even why I knew I wanted to bring him on, even though he had not drum tech before. But I just knew him as like a great friend and and a great drummer. That I was like, I think like this would be awesome just to have like just so we could be around each other and hang out all the time and stuff. And it's like you'll be with drums and yeah. and it'll be great. And he's he's you know proven to be just a fantastic uh, drum tech, super knowledgeable and great guy to have on the road. Seems like it's almost like uh, golf caddies and golfers. Like half the time the caddies are as good as the pros. <laughs> well, that's like that. That's for real. Like you know when you when you know you have a uh, a great you know partner in that kind of tandem because it really is like a partnership up there like with everything as chaotic as it is on stage you need someone you need to rely on on someone you know keeping everything in check and well oiled and stuff like that so the fact that yeah there's often most things i don't even i'm not even aware of like i know i know what you know what he's doing and stuff and that it takes a lot of hard work but the fact that nothing up there is even a question mark is like that's how good he is at what he does so incredibly thankful for that it's a partnership right where it's like as if i have my front of house guy i don't give a shit what the conditions are i know we're good to go we had bob strakel for years doing our sound man yeah bob's the man legendary front of house guy with the heaviest drum shit oh that's awesome well, on Bob, the flip Bob, side of that if you don't have your guys that you're used to it's a scary prospect like i right. i don't even th think i could play a gig if i didn't have my car <laughs> crew with i'd be like i can't do it <laughs> yeah well and it's funny you mentioned bob so bob was actually the first person who had ever mixed me playing drums in front of anyone ever no shit. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so he used to do front of house for the band, The Bouncing Souls. Yeah, love. Great, you know, friends and and heroes of mine from New Jersey, and uh, and so I had gotten up with them and played a song at uh, like a secret show they played because they were playing a festival in Asbury Park. This is like back in two thousand four or five, mm -hmm. and um, they covered a, a Springsteen song. Growing up. And they uh, like my dad and I have been going to Bouncing Souls shows and stuff for a while. And they were like, oh, maybe it'd be cool if Max sat in. And so they they rehearsed that with him. And uh, and then they had a secret show the night before that festival at the Asbury Lanes. This rad. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's classic, you know, Asbury Park staple. And I had never played drums in front of anybody in my life. 
um like not even not even my family or anything like that wow. uh but we but i i had uh when when they had practiced growing up with my dad i i was like hey i know some bouncing souls songs can i like you know play with you guys play one or two with you guys and i'm like yeah sure and so i actually got up at that um that secret show at the asbury lanes and bob was mixing them and so i i've, I've known bob since i was like 13 or 14 years old and so then when he, when I found out he was our new front of house guy, I was I was like overjoyed. I couldn't believe it that, that he was shout out to me. Bob, that beer drinking, cheeseburger eating, skateboarding fucking badass. Man. I love Bob. I, love I do appreciate listening to all you guys talk about your touring front of the house guys because I am uh the I'm the slumlord over here. I'm the big guy where I go to every venue and I have like Nighthawk in the back with a mohawk and like a cutoff shirt who's yeah. mixing our shit and being like, Can you just fucking check already so I can get out of here? Like, you know what I mean? Like it is a, a really nice thing. Like it must have been yeah. nice to just go right to a fucking pro like that. God damn. I I mean, Bob's Bob's the best. Uh I love how he mixes us, especially because we're kind of like you know, we're a super weird band where there's a lot going on and, and a lot of information to process to where it could all kind of sound like a yep. big wall of noise, but he gets every little detail about what we're doing up there and he understands it. So I've it's... asked him before. I'm like, what's that fucking input list look like, man? Oh my like, God. It's gotta be, be crazy. It's gotta how be many, crazy. Mic how many microphones do you think Slipknot uses on a given night? Oh, I've, I have <laughs> no clue. I mean, there's easily what? between like 30 and 40 or something Jesus on my drums alone. no i mean maybe not that many but like there's a whole lot there's there's a lot of stuff going on up there and it's all you know it's all happening in, in real time you know it's it, it uh it's a lot to process you know and, and mix to to get every element in there but he does i mean how did how did you wind up with the opportunity to want to become a drummer slipknot like how, how did that come together um well uh you know my friendship with the guys goes back 22 years you know we we met each other in the summer of 2001 uh shortly before their second album had come out and um and it was my that was my introduction to heavy music to heavy metal you know in general uh and, and so i was completely overwhelmed and found you know my favorite new band and wanted to know everything about it and fortunately you know they would tour so often that they come through my area you know like several times a year um, so they kind of saw me grow up, you know, from when I was like, we met when I was 10. Um, and then when I, you know, when I enter like my teens and stuff, and now I'm like old enough to take the train into New York or, or, you know, down, you know, down like the New Jersey coast to, to see them play or whatever. Um, you know, I'd be, I'd be a little more knowledgeable about this style of music. They're like, oh, you're wearing a Slayer shirt. Oh, you're wearing a Venom shirt and, and this and that, you know, like. <laughs> They saw that I was kind of doing my homework. And then, of course, like once I got into a certain age and started touring myself, um, we kind of like we didn't see each other all that much, probably between the years of like 2009 and 2013 or so. Um, but yeah, the you know, the circumstance presented itself where they they were in need of a drummer. They had known me since I was a child and were aware of, you know, the, the things that I had done and um, probably most significantly, most significantly was filling in for my dad with Bruce and the E Street Band. Um, I think that to them signaled that it's like, OK, he's used to like high pressure situations and right. um, there is no more high pressure situation than Slipknot. So I think they kind of figured that that would kind of lend itself to 
you know, if I knew this music and they knew, they knew I knew all the details about the band that they wouldn't have to teach somebody about the band or what the band stands for or, or means, you know, to the guys in it, um, that we'd be able to just play once and pick up right from there. And, and that's what we did. Um, so they, uh, they asked me to join the next day we started working on an album that became you know my first album with the band uh and this is back in like early 2014 late 2013. Jeez, dude i gotta ask from that like even as a metalhead and an incredible drummer like slipknot is a it's a fucking different thing did was there a learning curve did you have to like you know what was the, was there pressure of like oh shit, this is different or was this like just another walk in the park for jay weinberg Definitely not a walk in the park. Nothing about <laughs> a walk in the park. Uh, nothing about it is easy. Nothing about it is comfortable. Um, but I knew that going in, you know, I, I I understood that element of the band is that it's demanding of everybody within it. It demands everything you got. Um, and as you go forward and as you, you know, learn more and more about it, you start to uncover, you know, there's even more and more to learn and stuff. So really, yeah. So it is a constant learning curve. Um, you know, I think that's, you know, that's probably the, the hallmark of any good band is that any, you know, anybody is who's dedicated to what they're doing and serious about what they're doing wants to push deeper and deeper and deeper into it. Um, so the, you know, we've been playing together for about a little over nine years now. And so I've, I've learned as time goes on every year, there seems to be like infinitely more to learn than I had learned, you know, the year before. So, um, so yeah, I mean, you know, obviously it's, uh, it's difficult and extreme and in, in, in many different ways, you know, the, the music isn't easy the fact that you're playing with a sheet of rubber on your face isn't easy that was my next um, question that must have been a whole nother learning curve my buddy one of my best friends in the world is the drummer for ghost i obviously can't say his name but he's like it's a fucking nightmare to wear the mask it's difficult um it's difficult when you're playing at elevation <laughs> for oh sure. yeah <laughs> mexico like, city kills you well so for instance yeah so so we just played in mexico city a month a month ago or something and uh and we've played there a number of times but i always forget that it's like twice as high as denver it's like yeah. incredible <laughs> high up there and so we're it was the first show of our tour uh and you know we've been off for a couple weeks and like there's no substitute for when we're actually all together like you know practicing and stuff at, at home is is helpful but there's no substitute for what the actual act of of playing in Slipknot will do to you. So, uh, so when we're like there and we're, you know, we're going through some songs right before our first show back after like a month and a half, all of us are like, God damn, like, why, like, why is it so hard to breathe? And it's like, Oh yeah, no, we're at crazy elevation. I'm like, Oh my God. Um, so yeah, no, it's not, you know, but I, I knew that going into it. Um, but it was something that we didn't even discuss throughout the first, like, you know, we, we've been playing together for almost a year before I even played my first show with the band um, as we were making this record. And uh, and so that moment, you know, of like, OK, I got to get used to, you know, playing with a mask. That was a huge thing that I understood about the band, obviously. But it it's, um, you know, it doesn't 
it just doesn't play nice with anybody you know it's, it's it is difficult but you know but at, at this point though nine years later like i i don't really even notice it it's just it feels weird to play these songs without it you know right. yeah I mean? is there some weird music that you guys that people would not expect slip not to be doing like in sound check like you're just playing like some dinner jazz just like you know when you when you're just screwing around in sound check or in rehearsal is there something like that that would be surprising or is it kind of straight to work uh with the you know slipknot music at hand possibly i mean you know one element of the band that a lot of people might not realize is that like everybody in the band is incredibly funny like we yeah. do like to joke around a lot and so we joke around a lot with like music like you know somebody will pull out like some really cheesy 80s riff and we'll start playing some you know hell like, yeah God, <laughs> back know. in black you know, we'll play some like <laughs> jimmy buffett or something like that <laughs> love that um, i will but probably what might be even more surprising is like the stuff that we're listening to in our dressing room right before we play yeah. we'll Dion. go out there and we do our thing and and you know it's we take it really seriously and we and it's it is serious music but you know two minutes prior to that we were having like a dance party to the electric six in our- <laughs> oh my god i'm picturing uh, you guys all fully masked up in the dressing room ready to go just like hitting hitting fucking future or something like that whitney houston something there's so, so- it, hey man it like you know like like anybody you you know you I, i'm sure i'm sure when you when anybody you know, it's like driving their car or something. You're not listening to the exact same thing every single day. Like, you know, we got to feel out the mood of what we're all feeling that night. And sometimes, yeah, we want like a, you know, electric six party and there's nothing wrong with that. Whoever's DJing that pre-show set in the green room, that's an important job. It is. Well, I can tell you what they're not playing. Corey is a great, Corey is a great um, playlist yeah creator in that sense he he will throw together some playlists that gets everybody moving and grooving who's the nicest person in the band <laughs> nicest person in the band uh that's difficult to say i mean everybody's everybody's nice everybody has their days where you know who's the meanest person in the band <laughs> who's the, who's the worst person? who's the worst person in the band? <laughs> oh man these are questions i can't answer but <laughs> we weren't expecting you to. I mean, we're all you know we're all like different levels of you know like it's it's like a sibling kind of you know relationship it's like i'm you know i'm the youngest brother by like 15 years you know yeah and, and stuff so so we all have you know we have a, a certain brotherly family like brothers but uncles you know in right, a yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of family dynamics so you know look you're you know when you're traveling with each other for years months and months and years and years on end you do find those moments where it's like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna stick to my own you yeah, know, yeah of course over here can but i, that's can I tell you a, a real funny story real quick i was looking for this tweet because i know i screenshotted it i couldn't find it so this is 2014 may have been before you had fully come on board with Slipknot but someone I don't know who was running their Twitter at the time tweeted if I it was something along the lines of like if I have to hear this fucking song come with me now again one more time I'm gonna fucking lose it something along those lines I don't know what it was (laughs) yeah so I just think like that's my claim to fame is the most metal thing I've done is piss off Slipknot (laughs) our song Oh man, uh, it 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 really is incredible how everything's come together for you guys, and the fact that you're still out there, just absolutely destroying shows left and right. 
My, I think it's too like kind of like coming into that environment. It's your real first big environment. And we talked about a learning curve, but like, did you have an initial oh shit moment of being on stage in a stadium or something like that and feeling like your feet weren't quite underneath you yet when you're on stage with these guys that have been together forever? Like, or was it just like you slid in or was there a one show in particular where you're like, I'm getting kind of lost here. I'm kind of slipping. No, nothing like that comes to mind. Um, I think the, you know, the experiences I had prior to joining Slipknot allowed me to, you know, to really understand what a role like that is. Um, you know, in particular playing with with Bruce and the E Street Band, you know, I don't when I started playing with them, I had only been playing drums for three years. Um and uh <laughs> that's fucking crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you know, taking on that responsibility and throwing myself into it completely, um, and having those experiences of yeah, the first time playing in front of you know 70, 80,000 people, you know, and just having to figure it out, um, and trusting those people around me. And luckily with that situation, like that's literally my family, you know, like right. those are people I've known ever since I was a really small child. Um so having that, you know, experience to to draw from, everything else has, you know, has kind of like, I wouldn't say com has fit kind of comfortably, but like, I definitely have a frame of reference for understanding how to overcome like a high pressure situation like that. Um, anytime you do something new, there's definitely like a learning your footing of like, you know, there, there's no substitute for for playing you know doing it for real like we you know we, we could practice you know we, we made a whole record over the course of that year and we practiced a whole whole bunch um but nothing is a substitute for that first show there's no way oh. you can actually practice that with the adrenaline going and you got thirty thousand people in front of you and um you know it's live streamed to millions of people or whatever nugs.net um, yeah, well, so the, you know, the thing there and, and the trick that I had learned years prior was to not focus on any of that. You know, the pressure only needs to exist between, you know, myself wanting to live up to the moment, uh, to live up to the expectations and, um, you know, creative energy of my bandmates. And that's all I need to be concerned about. You know, I don't need to be concerned about how big of an audience is in front of the stage that anyone's watching at all. Um, you know, all I need to focus on is just the music and my bandmates. And if we're all feeling good, that's all I really care about. Um, so once you break it down to that simple, you know, kind of way of looking at it, it it's not intimidating anymore in that way. You know, you, you get to kind of wrap your head around what's what maybe, maybe when I was younger, that'd be difficult to, uh, to comprehend but but kind of over the course of my life and in my teenage years into my 20s um you know having that kind of practice of just being able to put high pressure things to the side and just focus on you know what i'm in control of then everything you know seems to be as as comfortable as i as i'm able to to get it which is is fine by me and it makes it you know makes the process enjoyable you know then i'm not thinking about like oh man you know, this is so crazy. This is such high pressure, blah, blah, blah. You're not able to enjoy the moment and artistically express yourself because that's what we're all there to do in the first place. Yeah, so right. if I'm preoccupied with like, oh shit, like, you know, stuff going <laughs> sideways or whatever, then I'm not, you know, I'm not inserting myself within the moment. And to me, that's like the most important thing of all is to celebrate that moment that we're sharing with each other as bandmates that we're sharing with 
the people who are there to listen. And um, and yeah, that, that kind of makes it a little more simple for me to uh, to understand. I love that. I've never, I've always felt like no matter how big the crowd was that we're playing for or how hyped they are, nobody's having more fun than us on stage. Facts. And that always kind of, I felt like came through that we were playing for everybody else, but we were having fun together as musicians in a band, just doing what we love. And that, that kind of steered the show. I got another question. I have 8 million questions. Okay. Um, as a lot of musicians know in drums, playing a straight four on the floor beat can be harder than playing a blast beat. What's harder? Spring sheen, Springsteen shit or like Slipknot shit? Like what, what's that harder shit to play? Ooh. Yeah, they're both very different. Um, I will say that like with Bruce, ev everything on stage is a flying V to where the apex is Bruce. Yeah. So that's where we're all hinged on that. Mm -hmm. um, and so whether that's, you know, that's the tempos of things. If I'm, you know, if I'm watching Bruce with his, you know, keeping tempo with his, with his foot, I know where he wants certain things placed. And he has an amazing physicality about him that kind of dictates dictates like a conductor almost um kind of like like a like a rock and roll conductor in that way where uh you know he would call out songs that I've never heard of before and I just have to follow his physicality and the way and the way he was kind of guiding everybody on stage through a piece of music and then four minutes later you're like oh man i've just played i've just improvised a song that i've never heard of in front of like sixty thousand people um yes. i am i am i i just have to get that out of the way i am the biggest like bruce springsteen the east street fan on earth i have the record right behind me awesome i have thousands of questions and i i you know i don't want to let this hinge on bruce because we can get into that but the one thing as a historian i want to say is your dad wasn't the first drummer of the East Street Band. Right. He, your dad was the second drummer of the East Street Band. Did he give you any advice about stepping into a situation like how you did with Slipknot, like how he had to step into the East Street Band? Now it's a little bit different because Bruce wasn't what Bruce was before your dad was there and Slipknot was where Slipknot was. But like, is that like a family tradition of yours now, stepping into big spots and crushing it? No, it's def definitely not anything that we've like spoken about. Um, I mean, you know, my first experience with that was subbing in for him, <laughs> you know, so, uh, so as the third drummer in the E Street Band, uh, you know, that was a whole experience where, um, that was a huge learning experience where I approached the drums a lot differently than my dad, especially at that time, I'd only been playing for three years. He had been playing for 40 something years. <laughs> um, so there's a, a big, you know, generational difference there, but we also had a lot in common, obviously, you know, with that, it was kind of odd because we're two drummers splitting, you know, we're playing in the same band and I was playing the shows that he couldn't make and, and, you know, vice versa or whatever. Um, so it was very interesting throughout the course of that tour, you know, I would play the song, you know, Rosalita different than he would, but we're still playing the same song and still carrying out the same energy and stuff like that. So that was quite interesting. Um, but that was a huge lesson in just like, just do your thing. You know, you're not here for any other reason other than the people who want you to play here want you, you know, they're not wanting somebody else. And so, so that was important. And that was really cool to, you know, to understand that kind of dichotomy and especially to do that within the context of, of Bruce and the East street band. And then, you know, whether it's been any, any other band that I've played with that's, you know, that's existed um, whether that's Cavell attack or Madball or against me uh, or Slipknot, 
um it's always just been i'm i'm gonna approach this the way i'm gonna approach this because you know i can't i can't fake the funk i'm not gonna play like somebody else uh, i didn't know you i didn't know you had been in against me i love against me right on you wow uh, uh yeah so so to answer your question though um the bruce stuff i often equate it to like being that flying v Mm -hmm. uh with slipknot it's just a nine person full-on assault everybody <laughs> going full tilt all the time um and so there's definitely a, like an, a, a crazy energy a lot of guys in the band equate it to jumping out of an airplane at, at the beginning of our show and it, it does yeah. it does feel a lot like that i i think um but yeah it's just you know there there are different it's different music stylistically i suppose <laughs> for sure <laughs> but um, you know, to me, it all comes from the same place. And that's how you can draw, you know, similarities and parallels between all these things. Um, for sure, both are high intensity situations uh, that demand 100% of everybody on stage. So that's a commonality that, you know, that both projects have. Um, and, and yeah, when you, you know, when you approach everything with 100% dedication, you know, playing with Bruce is as difficult as playing with Slipknot because you, you know, if you're, no matter what, if you're given a hundred percent of yourself to either thing, it's still a hundred percent of yourself. So mm -hmm. I, I never really have seen like, yeah, it's different kind of music, but I've never really seen that drastic of a distinction between the two. It just takes everything I got. And, and that's kind of what I'm used to. That's fucking great. <laughs> yeah. That's a great goddamn answer. You're well-trained. You're well-trained in, uh, <laughs> in media. Here's a, here's a question. Cause once again, we're talking about that dichotomy. Do you have a favorite Slipknot record? Um, I like our new one. Um, I think I'm always kind of I'm always inspired by what we're doing, you know, currently. Um, right. you know, if you'd asked me a couple of years ago, it probably would have been We Are Not Your Kind. Um, and that record we worked on for three years. Yeah. Um, wow. you know, just like toiling at it bit by bit and, and really like we were um we had a lot to dig through on on that album and, and i feel i feel really proud of that record um but i'm always stoked on what we're up to currently so i think the end so far is uh is my favorite i think i you know as far as like pushing myself and pushing myself out of my comfort zone to do you know to do things that are new and not be stagnant and and try new things um this album i think for a lot of us is like that you know it's quite a different record for slipknot probably one of the most experimental things the band has ever done um so i'm proud of that and uh and you know but i and i also think it's like well my favorite will probably be the next one you right, know? right right and i'm always i'm always just super stoked on what we're doing currently is there anything that you've noticed like different with let's say within the metal world in terms of how streaming and the new social media approach that's affecting hip-hop pop like traditional rock releases is it any different in the metal world is there still more of a like album based appreciation or is it mm -hmm. has it kind of fallen into the same pattern um it might be different i'm not i'm not all too concerned with that you know like mm -hmm. my concern is just like being in the process of the creation um right. and then whether you know whether however that gets sorted out it's kind of not even up to me, you know, like, yeah. like for instance, we just put out a song called bone church, um, as a B side to, uh, or actually more so like a, an addendum to, um, our song yen. Um, we just released like a director's cut of the music video for yen that features this song bone church. 
And we had started working on Bone Church back in like 2015, I want to wow. say. I, I remember we were in a dressing room in Calgary and we started jamming on that song and it just came out now. That's what, eight years later? Yeah. yeah. You know, so yeah, perhaps it, it does change things. Like, you know, you have to find new and engaging ways to to put your art out there and, and try to connect with as many people as possible. Um, that's all a little bit beyond what I'm focused on. Like, I just want right. to focus on us making good songs, making good records, putting on good shows. Um, and sometimes, you know, songs that we're working on just don't make it on a record. Like sometimes it'll be a song that I'm like incredibly proud of. And that a bunch of us are like super, super proud of, but it just doesn't find a way to fit on, on an album. So we'll kind of keep working at it, keep working at it, see, you know, what we can make different, um, you know, maybe analyze for ourselves why a certain song didn't make a certain album. And then if we feel comfortable, like we've gotten it across the finish line, then it's like, okay, that song is ready. Let's put it out on this new record or whatever. Right. It's all like, I think it's helpful to be in that kind of state of flow where, you know, Hey, here's all this stuff that we're making. This segment of it can be a, a record and let's, you know, these songs kind of play nice together, but not necessarily for this album. So we'll keep working on it and whatever, but yeah, as far as how stuff gets released, if people even enjoy full records anymore, I don't know. I certainly do. I love when right. bands commit themselves to a, a full artistic vision. That's a, collection of songs that's like really your expression of um of what you're going through that collection of, you know the for those years you know like an album comes out in a moment in time but it's reflective of a, of a period of like three years in our life yeah. that we're like working on it or whatever right, yeah so, i i feel like i feel like with metal fans though like they that is still one of those genres that people really do appreciate full like context bodies of work like like i think about a band like code orange they've been putting out great records and I have a lot of friends in that metal world who were like, like an album, like something that code orange is going to put out. You have to like accept that in its full form and then listen through it. And I feel like Slipknot probably has a lot of that too. I think so. Yeah. I mean, those are, you know, those are good friends and peers of ours in code orange and um, you know, artists that we really respect. And, and I, I, for one really, you know, I, I love whenever they do stuff, they just released something today. Um, really? uh yeah yeah a remix album and uh you know they're that that's a sharp band that's always pushing you know the the extremes of what they do and i'm appreciative of that for sure so you know and, and we like to surround ourselves with bands and and artists and people that we respect in that same way um you know we've taken code code orange out a bunch and it's incredibly inspiring when we're able to surround ourselves with that creative energy um behemoth is another band that we play mm. with quite a bit and we're all you know we're big big fans of them and how much they dedicate themselves to what they do and yeah it's um you know i'm i'm very inspired by people who put together a, a cohesive vision like that um because it is also that's you know that's putting a lot of yourself out there for you know for judgment for critique for for all that that you know you're you're laying your soul on the line when you put all your thoughts it's like here's an hour-long encapsulation of like what you know i'm going through what we're going through as a group and how we see the world and reflect it out there and then it's this whole thing that then is it becomes something that's not even ours anymore it belongs to everybody else and so i like when artists dare to to do that you know beyond just putting out a song here and there or you know and that can be fun and we've done that um you know, an EP would be cool as well, because I think you can get out like little short bursts of, 
mm-hmm. you know, ener- uh, creative energy out there. But for me, like the the real thing that I'm proud of is when you can like put blinders on for three years, like we did with We Are Not Your Kind, and just like work on it, work on it, work on it. And then when we put it out, it's like, that's the fucking album that we wanted to make. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to get there, but I, I think it's a, a worthy endeavor for yeah, sure. I got to um, ask you, I want to get into the weeds a little bit about how nine guys who are all adults with families, I assume, live across the country. How does that body of work come together? Are you guys pre-proing a little bit, then jumping into the studio and fleshing shit out? Are you all writing and sending each other ideas and then going to the studio to track them? Or do you spend three months in a studio hashing shit out together? What's the general just broadside? It's a mixed bag of stuff. Um, It really is just kind of everything you know however however anybody has any idea it's all fair game um so for instance like with with the end so far that was a lot of working by proxy um we got together a couple times uh you know like uh clown has a studio in iowa that um a couple of us you know met at and got some some creative juices flowing there but that you know during covid it was really difficult like you know we couldn't be in the same room at the same time and this and this it was it was difficult so a lot of stuff came with like i had to learn how to become a you know i had to get adept at like self-recording at home and uh so like I have like an electronic drum set set up where I can just put that through a drum library and I can have re- really good sounding drums where I can be like, oh, anybody's sending me a demo. Um, you know, our kind of working operation since I joined the band, um, right when I joined, uh, Jim Root, our guitar player, had a lot of like structures of like, here's like a verse to a chorus, to a bridge, to another chorus, to an outro. You know, he's putting together these things. And he would kind of hand me a demo. And like when I first joined the band, uh, we went into a studio after we were like, okay, we're doing this and we're, you know, let's let's start working on new songs. Um, he would hand me a demo on like a flash drive or something and be like, all right, go into that room in 20 minutes, come back out, sit on your drums and do what you would do, you know, play what you want to play to, you know, to help send this song in, in whatever direction. Because that was a whole element of it where it's like, okay, so you can... You know, he understands where we came from as a band and and he can play our old songs. But how is this creative element going to go? Because if I have no ideas, then it gets pretty stagnant pretty quickly. Um, So that was exciting where, you know, I'll kind of have like a rough sketch where he's kind of programmed some drums to guitar riffs and and a lot of stuff. Like he'll add a lot of layers of, you know, keyboards and, and stuff like that to a song. And then I'll go in and kind of do what I'm feeling driven to do rhythmically and maybe that'll send songs in some you know some direction that it wasn't heading before that's kind of my intent and so when we're when we're all away from each other i'll get sent an idea where it's like hey here's a collection of riffs here's like a you know a verse and a chorus or here's like a full song idea um you know what are you thinking what how do you want to approach this and so then it'll get sent to me and i kind of just sit with like okay well i'm hearing you know, elements of this guitar hook that I could accent or, you know, or whatever. Sometimes stuff will have vocals on it as well. So having Corey introduce his vocals in the demo stage of stuff is incredibly helpful as well, because that'll help, you know, okay, we've identified this is going to be the chorus. And sometimes when we're writing songs without vocals yet, 
Corey will flip like, oh, we thought all the whole time we thought that was going to yeah. be the person. now that's the chorus hook. OK, you know, that's Whenever, great. when I think of a band like Slipknot, too, and I think about the level of like catharsis and like the way Corey writes, I always envision like it coming from Corey first. But to hear that you guys are building it out and then Corey's throwing stuff on top is actually really interesting to me. It's a, a different than what I had envisioned in my own head. Well, it come, and it come, that's not to say that it doesn't happen, you know, the inverse way as well. Like that's happened plenty of times where it's, you know, it's something, it's a lyric that we're all jumping on. And uh, yeah, like a lyric will come first that will inspire a mood of, you know, a, a guitar riff or a drum beat or something like that. And and that's how it shakes out. Um, my favorite way of us approaching it was, uh, is, has been when, you know, we, we also have like a mobile studio uh, on the road, which is, we call it the jam room is where, you know, I'll spend most of my day in there warming up for our show, playing with the guys. We'll just, you know, go over songs and just kind of get the blood flowing. Cause I, I, I prefer to hit the stage already hot, already right. blood boiling, sweat pouring. I'm in it. You know, that's, that's when I like to hit the stage when I'm already in it. So we try to, we try to get there as best we can before the show in our jam room. Uh, but we're also documenting ideas. Uh, a lot of We Are Not Your Kind was written that way. And actually quite a bit of um, The End So Far was written that way. Like the song uh, Medicine for the Dead. We had been work workshopping that song in our jam room since our first tour together in 2014. <laughs> wow. I mean, it just takes, you know, like like I said, it takes a lot of patience. You're just chipping away at a at an iceberg of trying to, trying to carve something out of ice. And that, that ends up being a song like that. Other times songs like, you know, the negative one and Custer got written in two hours because we're like feeling this impulsive musical connection, um, you know, lightning in a bottle kind of moments that I think a lot of bands have that as well, where you could be bashing your head against a wall for like months on end and not create anything that's up to your standards. And then it'll, then you'll write something that you're you're more stoked about in, you know, in two hours. And that, that's how sometimes it works for us. Um and uh, but my favorite is when we we find something that we really like and we just kind of work on it, work on it, work on it together in a room. And we have done that where we've like, like, we are not your kind. We learned that record playing it together. And before we we even press record at all, we would get into a room and play the whole record, you know, start to finish. And uh, wow. and that was awesome. That's, a you know, that's an incredible experience where it's like, you know, you're really putting in the hours of collaboration and um and to me like those are my favorite that's the the magic of of being in a band you don't get that you know unless you're all on the same page and and working towards a common goal that's like that's that's the sweet spot for me jay can i ask you a question yes have you ever considered getting into the podcast game because you make me feel very <laughs> inferior at my job like you can, <laughs> you're a fucking very eloquent guy man this is this is fucking awesome that was me sitting there looking to listen to you like synthesize that thought being like, this guy's better at this than me. Like, legitimately better than me. <laughs> well, you know, it's what I care about the most in life is, you know, it's playing music is, you know, playing music with my bandmates and Slipknot. It's, it's the most, um, you know, it, it, when you're able to enjoy the process like that, it is very fun, you know, and we take music that perhaps i wouldn't use the word fun to describe our music because it's just not it's very you know it takes a lot of energy and and um and you need to i don't know it's it's, it's very it's a very cathartic process but when you're in the process and, and you're in that flow state it becomes very fun so so I, I certainly you know enjoy that and when you know if it's the most important thing in your life it's like yeah i love you know 
sharing that aspect of what, what so, we do. So you said you like, uh, I want to just go back a little bit. You said you like hitting the stage, kind of blood flowing, ready to go, like you've fully warmed up. How much does do the masks and the kind of the theatrics of it play into the psychology of like changing how the performance occurs versus just if it didn't exist in that way? Sure. Yeah, it definitely is a thing. Um, I, you know, I kind of view the mask as like, that's the last key that I turn before I'm, I'm able to walk onto that stage. You know, mm -hmm. I have kind of like, uh, we're, we're more like a sport. We're more like a, an athletic team. We're more like a, a team <laughs> than we are a band in a, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, with the sheer number of people and the, you know, we all wear the same thing <laughs> and this and that, you know, we are, we kind of have like a team mentality and a sports mentality about what we do. It is incredibly physical. Um, so with that in mind, I have kind of a running checklist every day where I, I kind of live the exact same day every single day when we're on tour, if I'm in control of that. If it's like, you know, sometimes we're like flying on a show day and that kind of sucks. And, you know, I'm not able to get into my flow state that I prefer. But I eat the same exact thing every day. I, I, you know, drink the, the pretty much the same amount of water every day. Uh, I know exactly when I'm going to have my pre-show meal. I know exactly when I'm going to start getting into the jam room and start stretching and this and that. So, like, that's all part of it. And then, yeah, once I'm, like, we'll run through, you know, I'll run through a bunch of songs by myself. I'll, we'll run through, you know, maybe two, three, four songs together in the room. And then by the time we're like done playing like this, the third or fourth song or something, our tour manager is coming in the room. He's like, you guys are on stage in like five minutes. And so then it's like a mad dash to be like, oh, fuck, I got to I got to <laughs> put on my mask. And then, you know, sometimes that works out the best because then you don't have any time to like cool down. And it's just like, oh, shit, I got to throw this on and get and run out there. And then you're totally in it. Those are my favorite ways of like approaching stage time. Uh, but the mask is the last turn of the key. That's the last thing that happens yeah. before we're we're all together. And we have our little, you know, band kind of rituals that we do before every every show that, um, you know, just kind of brings us all to the make sure we're all on the same page. And that we're about to go out and do this thing that, you know, it means a lot to us. We know it means a lot to everybody who's there. So we're going to give it everything we got. And um, and yeah, but so we we all have kind of like those individual things, I think the mask is all of our final key uh, to that door that unlocks the stage for us. Um, and it is, it is, you know, I, I suppose that is kind of unique, you know, for, for any a band that wears masks for sure. Well, I mean, uh, I love it because it's like, even to, to take from this as a band that doesn't wear a mask, like there's a symbolic, symbolical, how the fuck you say that word? Yeah. Sy symbolical aspect to it that I think can be brought in to any, any band or any team that's doing something that there is like there's an element of theatrics that is not just purely theatrics for the sake of theatrics it serves a purpose to change perhaps your inner psychological state to to give a better performance or do a better uh thing you know when i played college, when, when i played college baseball i was not ready to go into the game unless i put on eye black first it like turns you into a warrior in a way it was a it was a psychological trick that said it's fucking game time time to go well, it's protection, right? You know, it's it's um it's a way for you to, you know, protect the the vulnerable aspects of yourself and and uh you know, maybe maybe there are ways that we wouldn't quite put ourselves out there 
if we didn't put that on as opposed to when we do put it on because we get to we get to become something different than we are, you know, throughout our daily walking lives. You know, I'm, I'm a, you know, I get to tap into something else that, that isn't who I am right now speaking with you guys without my mask on. It's a layer of, I think kind of artistic protection where you, you get to use that the guy that that is as a, as a vehicle to get those things out there. What we need is a show on NBC, the unmasked, metal band like the opposite of the mass singer where you're you're forced to perform without that uh <laughs> that layer well it's I've, like been the long, av- I've been long advocating for us to do casual fridays where we you know, <laughs> you know or or a halloween show where we don't wear our masks you, know, you wear a suit and tie I, well i think i think that would be you know pretty frightening for a lot of people coming to see us like whoa that's, they're just guys but that's, that's what I was like as a 20-year diehard slipknot fan i was like Imagine being the security guard outside the jam room, just fucking yeah. <laughs> like that raw energy. Be so sick. Jay, Jay, I have another question. What number are you? You know how everybody has a number, right? I think still numberless. Num number. Oh, okay. I was gonna say it's like when you put on the mask, you turn into number nine, but now you're numberless. So sick. Uh, Jay, we we've kept you for long enough, man, and you are more than welcome to come back whenever you'd like to. I have two rapid fire questions before we get out of here. I okay. asked you your favorite Slipknot album. I'm going to ask you a personal question for me that I've gone through with everybody that I know. Your favorite Springsteen record? Ooh, uh, my favorite Springsteen record is "Darkness on the Edge of Town." That's the right answer. Let's go. <laughs> That's the correct answer. Hell yes. Uh-huh. Uh, and then my my last question is, uh, how overblown was the Machine Gun Kelly thing? Remember when that happened like last year? Like I remember we talked about it on the podcast a lot, but I felt like that was like more media hyping that up than anything. No comment. No comment. Dude, it was so it was yeah, fuck that. Fuck that. But I, I would be remiss if I didn't actually try and see if I'd get anything out of that. But uh none dude, of us had anything to do with that. That's what I'm saying. That's what it felt like. It felt completely like something that was out of left field. But dude, honestly. I'm kind of out of the metal world. It's never been my thing. Kenny is a diehard metal guy. And for this to me was like such an interesting conversation. Once again, you synthesize everything beautifully, but just like, I don't know. I feel like I have more of an appreciation for it now. And I want you to know, like you gave that to me through this conversation. Yeah, and so I really thanks. appreciate you taking the time and talking to us, man. I've been, I've been texting the guys all week, like all week. Hell, we got Jerry. Got I'm, I'm a, such awesome. a huge fan and it means a lot to be able to talk to you. So Appreciate the time, man. Seriously, well, thank, man. You, thank you guys for being interested. It's awesome to, to talk with you guys today. Yeah, man. No, thank you so much. Everybody, I don't have to say this, but go see Slipknot on tour. Listen to the records. Jay, you're an absolute legend, man. We can't thank you enough. Appreciate it. Yeah, come on out to a show. Yeah, we nice will. Yeah. We'll make Kenny. We'll make Kenny wear a business suit, and I'll wear a mask. Please do. Please do. Thanks, Jay Weinberg, man. thank you so much, man. All right, take care, guys. All right, that was our friend Jay Weinberg from Slipknot. Go see them on tour. I don't have to fucking plug anything for Slipknot, obviously. They're one of the biggest bands in the world. But what a good dude. Fucking crazy, intelligent human being. I felt dumber after the conversation because I'm a moron. Um, before we get out of here, let's go. Do you guys want to do on list, off list, or what the fuck we've been listening to? You pick. Let's do listening to both. Or both. I don't give a shit. All right, let's do this. Anybody have a grievance they'd like to air? Like anything they'd like to air? Dave, I assume you have something you have to say. Uh, how much time we got? <laughs> like 15 minutes. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, actually, I was the one who got Dante Skrillex tickets. Well, oh, you did, took that did deal, you? Dante. I told didn't you not that, to take the deal. Thank you. I mean, I got a private thank you, but I don't give a shit about those. I want the public thank you. Wow. <laughs>
okay, I didn't know I was allowed to do that. Obviously, I have no problem thanking people. I'm very hey, gracious. You thank you, you so much. Dante, you're welcome. <laughs> and he laughed at me on last week's episode when I said I could get him Skrillex. Tickets. That is the best way to, to to handle like a forced apology or thank you is to give it so generously that it fucking takes the wind out of the person's request. <laughs> like it just yeah. fucking kills the. Well done, no, Dante. But here, here, here's the good part about this is now that I did a favor for Dante, he's got to do a favor for me. So I will be back pocketing a favor from Dante. I called this when you guys were talking about this. This is like Godfather Seven. Uh, there's going to be a, a debt that will be paid at some point by Dante to Dave, and it's gonna, not going to be pretty. <laughs> wow. Johnny did say that. He did <laughs> say that. Dave, I did not know you had juice like that. I guess you uh, won't get it on our podcast. I'm actually very impressed. Okay. Uh, well, damn. I like that. Hey, uh, Dante, I- check your notifications. See if you got anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Venmo request. I bet money. <laughs> No, it's not a request. Yeah, no, I did it. Thank you. Uh, I owe Dante some money, so I just paid him back. Now he, now I'm officially uh, debt free to Dante, I believe, if I did my math correctly. Yeah. So now I technically <laughs> do have a favor to hold over his head. Now so you, I will be holding that over his head for as long as it takes, and I'll cash in on that favor when I really Dante just went blank. <laughs> uh, does anybody else have a, uh, an, I guess, an off the list? Technically, a fucking grievance. To I got it on the list. Good. So, um, yes, uh, yesterday, Thursday, fuck, today's Monday. So Thursday, we were in the office, and I threw on the the like main entrance TV, and Seinfeld was on. It was middle of the day. It was like probably one o'clock in the afternoon, and it was an episode where George or Jerry's dating this. You guys all watch Seinfeld, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. You, you, I can tell Kenny's a Seinfeld guy. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> you can pick out other Seinfeld guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just I can tell by people's humor type if they like Seinfeld or not, just without actually asking them the question. Anyways, it was the one where Jerry's dating the smoke show, blonde hair, she's a model, and then he pulls up next to her in a cab or whatever, and she thinks he's picking his nose. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Can we just de- stop stigmatizing picking your nose? Because everybody does it. There is not a better feeling on the planet than when you get a little, you you get your nail in there and you get that booger that's blocking your airway and you get that rush of head to the back of your brain and you're just like, ah. My wife thinks it's fucked up that when I pick my boogers, I go, flick. Yeah, I just flick them. Sometimes I'll see the dog walking around the room and I'll try to hit him like I'm hitting a slant yeah. pass and oh, yeah. I'm a quarterback. Oh, yeah. Does anybody else bite their fingernails? No. I bite them. I don't. I don't eat them though. That's I don't me. eat them. I bite my fingernails. Like <laughs> people my, eat their fingernails. Oh yeah. I know people yeah. bite their fingernails. I don't know people fucking. I I pick my fingernails with other nails, but I'll bite them as well. It's bad habit. It's my nervous tick. I bite my fingernails. I do it without. Make even sure try. you guys lead with this clip. This will yeah. this will yeah. drive up viewership <laughs> among some weird. It will because people will relate, on. and then they'll start to be like, "Oh, those guys actually say what's on everybody's mind." Like picking your nose is fine and acceptable. <laughs> and, then Ma- and then Megan Fox has toe thumbs. <laughs> uh, do I have a? Oh, my off the list is allergies, dude. I've been getting face yeah, my shit was up today. <laughs> oh, my God. Yo, I've I have an like, off the list. Fuck you, Dave. Every time I go to play Warzone, I see you the on same. there, and I never get a friend request. Not once. Not never. Uh, I'll play uh, I'll play with you this afternoon. Yeah, fucking right. All oh. right, my, my off the list is you guys are fucking making fun of me for not wearing sleeves. We should destigmatize <laughs> not fucking wearing sleeves. What's wrong no, with I, that? 
Still, I mean, I mean you're wearing a Western Carolina University. I believe that's West, Westchester University baseball t-shirt. It's not the sleeves. It's the white shoulders that are fucking with the contrast of my Zoom. That's you got a problem? <laughs> you got a problem with my whiteness, Kenny? That's some Philly-ass shit. <laughs> them I Philly shoulders. I get tan in the summer. Yeah, but right. I, yeah, right. But there's no fucking sun here. We don't live in California. <laughs> So what? I'm gonna I'm gonna come be a fucking loser and live in L.A. with you? Uh yeah. Or you could go to Austin and live with those fucking clowns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like I like the ups and downs. I don't give a Build shit. Character. <laughs> uh, all right. Does anybody have anything? They've Austin's where it's at, dude. They got Californians here. Yeah. Oh, look, I can't, yeah. I can't wait. Dude. Shirt. Yeah, they're run. They're ruining Texas. Everybody from Texas says apparently. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right, thanks, Don Imus. <laughs> <laughs> Not Don Imus. That's just what they say. I had a neighbor say that to me when I first moved here. Walking around, he said, "Where'd you guys move from?" And I said, "Phoenix." We'd moved here. Like I stopped off in Phoenix for a year when, with my wife being pregnant. And he goes, oh, good. As long as it's not California. I was like, well, actually, it was California before. Then he's like, well, as long as you don't bring your politics with you. I was that say- whole stereotyped line. I, it's a real thing that people are actually saying to people. Oh, hundred percent! Look at look, look at the shirt that he's wearing right now. <laughs> Who? This is like Johnny. Oh, <laughs> it's a Texas. These are, shirt these, are, these are available for these are available for sale. By the way, I was curious <laughs> if you tell people in Texas that you're from Phoenix and not LA. Fuck no, no, dude, no one cares here. Like the only people that care are idiots. Everyone else, it's you know, natives. First of all, we're in Austin. It's not like we're in. I don't know. Lubbock or you know Amarillo or something. I don't give a shit, dude. They all go home and they watch their Netflix and movies made in fucking California. Right. Like I love I love Texas so far, but I don't buy into this California. It's so stupid. Yeah. California. Like if you if you have a problem with other places, you're an idiot. Every type of entertainment that you consume came from California. Yeah. I kind of wish that I could hear like Spurs walking up to the camera right now and you just get slumped by some dude from Texas. Like, get the fuck out of here, you liberal. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. uh, Anything we've been listening to? I got a couple. uh, I've been running Block Party for some reason. I think it's the new new Paramore album. Feels very Block Party-ish to me. Uh, Death Cat for Cutie. I did run the new Skrillex albums. He dropped two albums and I actually kind of liked them. Uh, Other than that, we never really talked about this new Lil Yachty album where he basically tried to take Tame Impala and sing over it. I don't know if anybody's gotten into this. I keep hearing. I, I listened to that. I just came across it on my browse, and some of it was relatively adventurous. And then also, it sounded like it, maybe a computer made the whole thing. But it, it least, sounded like AI, like least, the whole thing. At least it somewhat felt adventurous. I haven't felt a rush of somebody doing something out of the box in a while. Um, and I guess my last one would be: I tried to get into Death Grips. I don't get it. Into death grips? Trying. Oh, death grips so sick. Trying. It's almost it's like if uh it's like if early Tyler the Creator took meth. Right. But there wouldn't be no Tyler the Creator without death grips, is kind of the thing. Dave, I wanna I wanna do one of those. You ever see those videos where they show people like old music for the first time and they're like reacting to it in real time? Mm -hmm. I wanna like put you and just have just blast the money store by death grips and see what happens. We can do that. Um, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> right, we're gonna we're gonna do that. Uh, so, anybody anybody else have anything you've been listening to? I've been listening to what was the band? We've we, we've got this uh, DJ uh, in Tucson. He was the, actually one of the first people ever to play our music, and he's also one of the early people on Mother Mother before they blew up. 
Oh. Um, and he told us what were the two bands that we Dead Poet Society and Almost Monday. I, so I've not heard either of those bands, but his track record of like being early on bands are about to blow up is pretty good. So I'm going to go check out those bands. Dead Poet Society well, and yeah, Almost, almost Monday. <laughs> what are you doing, Dave? Oh, like booger. A, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'll never see it again. Uh, yeah, that's just gone forever. Almost Monday and Dead Poet Society both sound like MySpace era emo bands. Probably they could be. I don't like I said, I haven't listened to them. I don't listen to music. But if there's Uh, a thing called Hey Monday, can you name a band almost Monday? Almost Hey Monday, (laughs) almost Hey Monday. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, Kenny, anything you've been listening to? Eddie Money and Peter Gabriel for some reason. This last week has been oh, and Madonna. I've been going deep. Damn, you've been going ham. I know. Well, you know what it is? Is I'll watching TV shows, Netflix shows, or whatever song comes on, and you're like, what fucking song is this? Spotify it. You're like, oh my god. Then I go deep for a week. Yeah. Uh, fucking so by Peter Gabriel is still metal as fuck. Sledgehammer was the one that I saved. Oh yeah. <laughs> we do what we're told from that same album. Yeah. No, really good. good. Uh, and then Dave, anything new? I mean, uh, I'm like halfway done with the uh first season or the second season of yellowstone and i've been listening to a lot of whiskey myers and ryan bingham ryan, Bing- ryan bingham i never was dude. i never knew shit about ryan bingham until that show and his shit blows my mind. dude i so i never listened to him in my life and he's 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 an actor on the show he's not playing himself obviously and there's just scenes where he's shredding on the guitar oh yeah just have, have you watched the show con no, but I love Ryan. Dude, I, w- I want to show you this clip, and I want you to tell me, like, for content or otherwise, if it's like what he's doing on the guitars. Guitars complicated, sure. Because I'm watching him, and I'm like, that guy's one of the best guitarists I've ever seen. It's from like a 30 second clip of him fucking around. He has a great. Show. He has a great band. Ryan Bingham's band is incredible as well. The people that tour with the him old are there. Are the current drummer in AWOL played drums for Ryan Bingham for like 10 years? There you go. Connection. Ryan, dude, my first a uh, great tour moment. Uh, where you're just driving and you fucking somebody puts something on the aux that fucks you up and you remember it. Driving through Georgia at sunrise, the song "Sunrise" by Ryan Bingham. Somebody thought it would be apropos to put that song on. To fucking I Mescal, Mescalito by Ryan Bingham just for the rest of the tour. Hold on, I'm just gonna fucking play him. Fuck, aim DMCA bullshit. With all due respect to the artists in this uh, podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, you know what? I'm not going to do that because I don't know what song. Like, I call send it him. to the group. Send it to the group. I'll send it to the group. Whatever he does on the guitar, it's like, it's fucking crazy. Fucking say less. We'll we'll talk about it on next week's episode. But all right, Perfect. let's get the, let's get the fuck out of here. Thank you to Jay Weinberg. Amazing interview. Go fucking subscribe. Do all that shit. Go to the YouTube. That's where it should be living right now. Um, next, I don't know what interview we're going with next week, but we have in the can gin blossoms. And then Friday we are interviewing Allie Hagendorf. Finally, we have her on the podcast. She's the formal global head, former global head of Spotify rock. The person we've talked about as a gatekeeper on this podcast for a very long time. I've been trying to get in touch with Allie for like six years and she's finally coming on. She has a new podcast. She just launched, um, that's going to be fun. And then I don't know, Dave, are you guys doing interviews this weekend? Um, On the 28th, I believe, we are interviewing Gavin Rossdale at the new venue in Chicago called the Salt Shed. So you guys have them, obviously. Kenny, you don't know what the fuck Colin and I are about to talk about. 
but there's these big fucking silos in every major northern city. Yep. And they're just filled to the brim with salt for the winter. There's one around the around the corner from my house. Yeah, exactly. So they have one in Chicago. It they rent turned it into a concert venue. It's brand new. I think last weekend was the first weekend they had a, a big gigantic there. Hell yeah. And, um yeah, and Bush is gonna be there on the 28th, I think is the exact date. But yeah, Dante and I are gonna be there. Uh, can talk some Gwen Stefani, can talk lots of stuff with Gavin Rossdale. So we got that on deck. I think he, we used to, his manager now currently is a manager we had of his. We've had two of his managers and we've, we left both. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you guys, you guys are, uh, he's not good enough for you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So we have a ton coming up. Uh, fucking listen, subscribe, do all that bullshit. Uh, anything else from you guys? Nope. I'm going to fuck you all. All right, fuck you guys. We love you. We'll talk to you next week.